welcome. That's about five minutes after the service starts. Um, I want to welcome you as well. My name is Tanner Turley. I serve as one of the pastors here of Redemption Hill. And uh, you can go ahead and open uh, your copy of God's Word or turn on your app, however you're going to be about that today. The the Gospel of John chapter 8. We'll be studying verses 12 through 30 uh, this morning. And um, just want to say this, if, if you're new or newish to Redemption Hill, if you kind of understand newish, um, we'd love for you to stick around after the service. We're going to have a, a lunch we call Next. It's just a great place to, uh, to, to meet some other new people, connect with uh, some of our leadership, and, um, and, and hear a little more about the church. So it's, it's really quick, free lunch, 45 minutes, we'll have you out of there, okay? Uh, so that'll be uh, just down the stairs um, as you're walking down to the Boys and Girls Club gymnasium. Uh, there'll be some people to help you uh, find your way there. Well, um, I want you to think about this statement. Um, one of the most, I believe, one of the most underappreciated commodities in our world is the commodity of light. Light is essential to life. We understand, so like, hey, it's February, about 50, 50 degrees, not bad, sun's shining in, okay, this is nice, this is abnormal for us, right? But, uh, but we'll take it, right? And it's like the sun rises on every person on the planet every day. Consider the gift of, of light. With Without the gift of light, we can't enjoy the gift of sight, right? We, without light, we cannot see. Photographers and videographers understand this. That they need light, a considerable amount of light to capture a very clear picture. On, a, on a, uh, maybe a less important but still important note, um, how many of you wake up in the morning and you open your drawer and you need light to make sure you don't, you know, blow it when it comes to matching your socks in the morning. Some of you probably have a black and a blue one on today, huh? We, we, we all need the gift of light. I, I would just throw this out as an experiment. How about this week, just one day, count how many times you turn on or off a light, and if you include your, your mobile device within that, um, that, that number is probably going to skyrocket, right? We are so dependent on the gift of light. I mean, this phenomenon of light is, is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. I mean, even in the darkness, we are aware of the absence of light. We all need light. It's true in the physical realm and it's true in the metaphysical realm, that which is beyond what we can see. You see, light illuminates the path forward, right? We need this physically so we don't you know, drive down the road and crash into other cars. And we need this true in our spiritual lives as well. Light invigorates us and it awakens us. And as you know, light has the, the power to brighten our, our spirit, right? I mean, there is, there is this such, such thing as, you know, seasonal depression, right? And sometimes about February and into March and in greater Boston, we can kind of start to feel like, man, when are the days going to get longer, you know? And, and when am I going to survive, you know, another, another winter here? Well, um, you know, let me just encourage you, all right? Um, 
the, the sun is going to set at 523 today, all right? So that's an improvement, all right, over yesterday. It's probably like 522. And, um, and then, you know, we, we could live in Barrow, Alaska. That's the, the northernmost town in the United States. 4,000 people live there. Probably a very sad 4,000 people, you know, live there because they experience 67 consecutive days of darkness. It's crazy, huh? Like, could we just maybe like write them some encouragement notes, you know, next winter and like send it their way? Light is inherently powerful. One person said this, every other object, just made this observation, every other object in the world requires light in order to be known. Light always illuminates. It's never illuminated. Light is a powerful reality. And so as we think about this concept of light, I want to ask you two questions this morning, okay? Um, Number one, how much light is shining on your life today? How much light is shining on your life and illuminating the way forward so that you can live your life to the full? But here's the second question. Not only how much light is shining on you, but how much light is shining from you? Are you making a difference in the lives of others because you are full of light. The vision, the invitation today is for us as we hear the words of Jesus once again is to follow him and experience the light of life. Now I have to to tell you, I was really tempted to kind of rephrase this and say like, follow Jesus and get lit, all right? (laughs) So some of you college students can take that back to your campus this weekend and uh, start a fun conversation, all right? but we'll, we'll play it safe. We'll just say, follow Jesus and experience the light of life. Um, this, this statement, right? Look, look at John 8, 12 with me. Um, what, is, what does Jesus say here? Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is the thesis statement for this passage and really for this entire chapter. We're going to only take half of the rest of chapter 8 today and end in verse 30. But when Jesus says this, he is making a massive claim. All right? If, if you are new to Christianity, you may kind of miss the illusion. There are seven different times that Jesus says, I am, I am, I am in the Gospel of John. And every time he says it, he is echoing Exodus 3, when Moses is having this confrontation with God and God's saying, hey, Moses, you're going to lead my people out of slavery in Egypt. And Moses is really, you know, uh, apprehensive and scared about, you know, engaging in that task. And, and he says to God, well, who am, who am I to say that is, is assigning me to this work? Like, basically, God, what's your name? And God answers Moses, I am. I am who I am. It's just God is the, the only self-existent, uh, self-dependent uh, reality in the universe. And so for Jesus to say, I am the bread of life, John 6, 35, I am the light of the world. He is making a mammoth claim here. 
Now, why would he say this? We need to kind of get up to speed in the gospel of of John, right? You may remember uh, from the past couple of weeks, Jesus went up to Jerusalem to this uh, feast that the Jews had every year known as the Feast of Booths, all right? It was a celebration uh, reminding them of how God had indeed led them out of Egypt and their slavery there into uh, the promised land. But they were on this wilderness journey. And they couldn't uh, build homes to dwell in, but they were dwelling in tents. And so booze was another word for tents. And so this feast of booze or feast of, of tents, it had a high significance for the people of Israel. They stayed for, for more than a week in the city just celebrating who God is and what he had done for them. And so just as we saw Jesus with this kind of symbolism of water in the feast of booze, there's another parallel when it comes to the gift of light. You say, well, well, how do you know this? Well, uh, check out verse 20. It says, these words that he spoke uh, were in the treasury as he taught in the temple. Now, 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 where was the treasury? The treasury was located next to the court of women. All right, it's probably, not, uh, it's probably not saying that Jesus was in the treasury. It just means that he was near the treasury. And beside the treasury was located the court of women. This was a big gathering place where people would, 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 would uh, meet there. And in the court of women, there were these uh, four large uh, candelabras, if you will. These four uh, great lights that on the first day of the Feast of, of Tents, they would light those huge candelabras. And it said, one scholar uh, says that, that those, that light from the court of women would illuminate every courtyard in Jerusalem. But at the end of the feast, the lights would go out. And so Jesus is standing here in this context, perhaps hours, perhaps a few days, we're not sure. But, but in, in, in light of everything that they had just uh, witnessed in the feast, he is standing there and saying, I am the light of the world. For Jesus to say this is for him to actually do three things, all right? Check this out, right? Number one, he is echoing the creation account, right? In the very beginning, in, in the first book of the Bible, which is Genesis chapter one, it says that God created the heavens and the earth, all right, and everything in them. And then the very first thing that God did, it says that he, he flung the stars into the universe by simply saying, let there be light, And so John in chapter 1 and in multiple places, particularly in chapters 8 and 9, John is portraying Jesus, obviously in his own words, saying, I am the light. So there are these echoes of creation, all right? Um, The way that God intended for us to live in his world, experiencing true light to help us live life to the fullest, we know that we all have kind of deviated from God's God's plan, all right? We have actually stepped into darkness, as Jesus is, is pointing out, and what we need is him to come in and shine his light to get us back on the path of flourishing and abundance that he designed for us. So first off, there is this echo of creation that Jesus leads us into a new creation for us to live in him. But not only that, Jesus is saying, I am the long hope for Messiah. You see, 700 years before Jesus was born, there was this prophet named Isaiah. And you can go back, it's one of the longer books in the Old Testament, 66 chapters. Thank you very much. And, um, and he says in chapter 9, verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. 
those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. The Messiah would come. The, the, the one who was going to redeem Israel was coming to bring light. To turn their gloom to joy. Their mourning to celebration. And then, not only that, finally, not as like creation, creation echo, and yes, I'm the Messiah, as if that were not enough, but, but this is an implicit claim to divinity, once again, from Jesus. All right, so, so there's like, don't listen to other religions where they say, like, Jesus never said he was God. All right? John 8, 12, Jesus is saying he is God, like, in at least two ways in, like, five words. I am, that's Exodus 3, God. But I am the light of the world. That is number two opportunity to say Jesus is God. And, and how do we know this? Well, uh, John would later say in his little letter, 1 John 1, 5, God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. I mean, the metaphor of light perfectly matches and communicates who God is because he is perfect. He is morally uh, pure in, in all of his ways. And we see this in the Old Testament, Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is what? My light and my salvation. Psalm 36, verse 9. With you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. So Jesus is clearly, when he says these words, this is not just like, hey, this is like kind of a good idea. I'm just going to kind of throw this out there and see what people think. All right, he is making an absolutely massive Claim. So just, just consider this, right? The standard measurement um, for measuring the power of light is, is the watt, okay? Now, um, most of us, um, you know, have 60-watt bulbs that, you know, light our lamps and so we can read at night or, you know, multiple ones in our room so we can, you know, see what's up in our, in our uh, you know, houses. Well, um, the kilowatt is 1,000 watts. I did a little research this week that, you know, just for your benefit. Um, the megawatt is, let's see, that's 1 million watts, all right? The gigawatt, 1 billion watts. The terawatt is 1 trillion watts. And, and, and the, the terawatt actually starts to measure all of the power that, that humanity uses on the face of the earth, all right? So like giga, gigawatts are like nuclear power plants are like measured, like getting up into the gigawatts. Like terawatts are just... The entire, the entire earth. But in Jesus, we could argue because he is infinite and infinite in his power, we are talking about something greater than even terawatts times terawatts times terawatts. Jesus is incredibly powerful. I, I did a little research. The, the sun, you saw an image of the sun uh, a few minutes ago. Did you realize that you could fit 1.3 million earths into the mass of the sun? And, and Jesus says, like, I am the light of the, the world. Like, like, bigger than just, just what, what your eye can see. I am, I am lighting up the whole thing. I am giving it all life. So as we look at these verses, how does, how does Jesus, and this is so relevant for us, right? This is, hopefully that is a grandiose vision and we, 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 we need to know these things of how powerful Christ is and what he's claiming to be. But then we ask the question, well, what does that, what does that mean for us? 
And so we see at least a couple of ways that there are just immediate ramifications for us. Uh, number one, the, the words of Jesus radiate light. Jesus starts in, in verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. And so then verse 13, like here we go again, right? We've seen this in the gospel of John again and again and again. Like people don't like it when Jesus starts talking like this. So what does it say in verse 13? It says, um, so the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. They're saying the religious leaders saying, Jesus, you're a hoax, man. You're, you're just making claims that are false. And so Jesus, having set them off again, like they would have been upset if they were just like, my, my light is what you should follow. Like it's teaching for you. But for him, for him to like step that up and say, I'm, I'm the light of Jerusalem. Everyone in Jerusalem like needs to listen to me and pay attention to me and follow me. Like they would have lost it for, for, for Jesus to say, I am the light of the world. This was absolutely uh, reprehensible to, to them. And so they move to discredit credit Jesus. They, they say, look, you're bearing witness about yourself. In other words, Jewish law um, said that there had to be at least two, two witnesses to, to bear a testimony to be true. And so Jesus says, look, you're, you're judging by your own standards, which is going to necessarily be uh, partial and uh, incomplete. And he says, look, I have, look, look at verse uh, 15. He says, you judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And so Jesus says, look, there, there are two, two witnesses here my own testimony, but then the, the testimony of God the Father, the God that you claim to know, he is the one who backs up my authority. And so this, this metaphor of light is closely connected to the idea of truth, and I think it's pretty obvious why, why this is. Light exposes what is there, correct? Like, like light shows us reality. And so that's what, that's what truth, the truth is that which corresponds to reality. So for Jesus to say, the words that I speak are true, you can bank on them, you can count on them, they are um, showing us life as it truly is, reality as it exists under the sun. So, so the question I have for, for everyone here, including myself, are you receiving the teaching of Jesus as truth? We, we heard a great sermon last week on the, the trustworthiness of the, the Bible. And, and listen, this is, this is the dangerous thing, all right? You could actually say that the dots connect and the Bible truly is trustworthy. Like all of that evidence that John presented last week, you could say it's true and you could still reject it. Or you can say, it's true, and I'm banking my entire life on that truth. I hope that you will do the latter. This is why, um, when I, just a practice, all right? Not, not every time, but, but consistently, whenever I open up the Bible, um, and I am exposed to these terawatts times terawatts, you know what I'm saying? And that's not a stretch, because if this comes from the infinite God then it's full of infinite power. 
You didn't, you don't, you weren't thinking about your word like that this week, huh? Yeah, I wasn't either, so now I am. And, and, and so I'm saying, like, God, would you send your light to help me understand? Would you open my eyes to see through you shining more light as I seek to not only understand it, but then put it into practice in my life wherever I'm going? Psalm 119, verse 130 says that um, the unfolding of your words imparts light. It gives light. So, so what, a, what a great practice, right? If, if the words of Christ radiate light and we have the words of Christ in the scripture, then number one, let's expose ourselves to it regularly and let's, let's pray that God would send his light so that we can understand it and so that we can live by it because it truly, if this is the truth, then it illuminates reality comprehensively for us. These are not small claims that Jesus makes here. So, so not only does, do the words of Christ radiate light, but also the life of Christ radiates light. So, so light corresponds to reality. It, it is closely connected to truth, but it is also has a moral dimension to it. In other words, there is a way that is best for us to live, and the, the, the words of Christ are pointing us to that, but it's, it's one thing to kind of be familiar with them. It's another thing to actually live them. And so Jesus would, would say, look, look down in verse 28 of, of John 8. Uh, he goes on to say to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I can do nothing on my own authority but speak just as the Father taught me. And now look at this. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For what? For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Not only did every word that that came from the mouth of Christ, speak words of light, but every action, every intention of his heart actually pointed to the moral perfections of his father, right? God the Father. So, so let me just do a little kind of theology for you, all right? When we start talking about the Trinity, sometimes we get a little you know, like, man, can I, how do, can I understand that? Well, there's mystery there. That's why God is God, right? But, but God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit have eternally existed as God. One God, three persons as the one God. So Jesus will say in John 10, we'll get there in a couple weeks, I and the Father, we are one. All right, one in essence, one in nature, one in being, and yet they are distinct persons and have distinct roles. And so the father takes the lead in the relationship, just like for my girls, Parker, Kesson, and Jordan, I take the lead in our home and I instruct them in what's best for them. So they are hopefully, not every day, unfortunately, but uh, hopefully they're following my lead in what's best for them. And so Jesus even though he's God, always sought to please the direction of God the Father. Does that make sense? And not only did he seek to do it, he actually did it. This is a radical statement. But I love that the radical statement is accomplished through a radical power because what what does he say right before that? He says, he who sent me is with me. 
So, so if, if you, and we're going to talk about it, if you want to live your life pointing to the greater light of the, the power of God, you only do that through God being with you and, and empowering your life to live that kind of way. So Jesus claims, I am the light of the world. How does this then impact us? Well, uh, point number two, whoever follows Jesus possesses light for life. If, let me just make that personal. If you follow Jesus, you possess light for life. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Now, now look at this next part of the, the thesis statement. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So, so, so let's, let's once again ask the question, how is Jesus the light of the world? I think there's two answers, all right? Number one, Jesus is the light of the world in a general sense, okay? You say, well, Tanner, what do you mean by that? Uh, this is what I mean. The light of, of Jesus illuminates every person everywhere, irrespective of how they feel about him, all right? So, so that might make you nervous, but let me just like work that out theologically, okay? Um, Jesus shines his light on all people just as he um, gives good things to those who don't even love him as he says in Matthew like he says the, the rain falls on the just and the unjust you know like people who really want to honor me with their lives and people who don't want to honor me with their lives like the sun is shining on them the rain is falling on them I am kind to people who disregard me totally now, theologically, we call this common grace, all right? It means that everyone experiences a, a measure, this is important, a measure of the grace of God in their life. So this is one of the arguments for why, why isn't the world even worse than it already is? It's because every person has a moral compass within them. It's called a conscience. And every person has the ability to differentiate from right from wrong which is actually another argument for the existence of God. God is a moral being, and he has made us as moral beings in his image. Not only that, you can go into your workplace tomorrow and, and know that um, whatever field you are in, education, science, medicine, politics, um, the arts, it doesn't matter. All truth is God's truth. So, so every Everything that corresponds, check this out, to that which is good and beautiful and true and that pushes you in your workplace to, to flourishing, in so much as it does that, it reflects the light of Christ. God is gracious to illuminate these, these various uh, fields uh, that, that we all work in whether or not the person is, is rejecting God or receiving what God has to offer them. So, so Jesus is the light of the world in that general sense. But then number two, Jesus is the source of light in a very specific sense. So, so look back at verse 12. He says, whoever, I like that, whoever follows me, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, now you guys know, if you've been around Redemption Hill for very long, you know that, that what we're all about is saying, 
the gospel, like Jesus, is not for like this slice of people, but you know, like this, these, these guys, like they, 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 don't really, they don't really deserve him. They don't really get to be invited to the table, right? Like when Jesus, is what we love about Jesus, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, Jesus means educated and uneducated. I'm about to get off on it. Like, this is Boston, and there are a lot of smart people around here. If you, in your intellectual prowess, look down on someone who is not as smart as you, you're not a lot like Jesus in that regard. So, so, so educated, uneducated, rich and poor. We could say the same thing, right, about, about that and socioeconomic scale and like who do you hang out with, who do you associate with. We could definitely say that about ethnicity and, and country of origin. And so it's like we came, we came to start a church in Boston because the world is here. Because we, we love Medford because, man, people from all across the, the socioeconomic spectrum, all across the educational spectrum, all across the ethnic spectrum, they're right here. And so we're just like holding out the light of Christ to all people because Jesus is the light of the world, and that's his intention from the very beginning. So if you want to be about that, then stick around because that's what we about, all right? Thank you. So Jesus is, is, is the source generally, but Jesus is the source specifically to whoever would follow him, right? And it's whoever follows him then receives not just this common grace of God that affects all people, but the special grace of God that changes us from the inside out and makes us new and then makes us want to follow Christ comprehensively. So let's talk about that, all right? To follow Jesus, number one, is to escape darkness, whether we experience the gloom of darkness or whether we experience the gladness of light hinges on whether or not we follow Jesus. To fail to follow Jesus, he is saying, is to walk in darkness. And there are grave consequences to choosing that path. Look at what he says in verses 21 through 24. He, he, he goes on to say this. I am going away. He's referring to his death, by the way. I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, they couldn't figure him out. They said, well, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. And so Jesus answers back. He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now, these are, these are strong words, but these are true words. If Jesus is, in fact, God, and if Jesus, in fact, radiates light through the words that he speaks, this is what actually I love about Jesus, because Jesus will sit down with drunkards and thieves and prostitutes, and he will be absolutely gracious and the king of mercy and the king of grace. At the same time, as he's the king of mercy and king of grace, he doesn't sacrifice being the king of truth. And so, so consider this, Jesus speaks these true words at times to jolt people 
into a state of being alert to the reality of their, their soul. These words that Jesus is speaking to these religious leaders who are rejecting God's true plan are designed to jolt them into a better path. So, so there is actually, don't miss this, there is actually kindness when we speak true words that may not be too palatable to people on the surface, but, but once they really see them and they're jolted by them, then it actually is the greatest kindness to them because it leads them to the path of life. And, and, and listen, I, I know like no one wants to talk about judgment. No one wants to talk about consequences for the way that we live. No one wants to talk about, dare I say, hell. But if heaven is a reality to spend with God forever... And the consequences of our, 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 our rebellion against him and choosing the path of darkness is, is to be separated from God, then, then, then hell must be a consequence of God's consistent holiness and even his love. And so, let's just put it this way. How many of you are going to go into work tomorrow? You're going to show up at 1030. You're supposed to be there at 8. You're going to check a couple emails, and then you're going to take an early lunch break, 11 o'clock. Not just an hour lunch break, but, you know, maybe a couple hours, because you have a lot of things to, to you know, talk about with your friends. And um, so you kick it back to work at, at 1. Um, you, you hop on social media for about half of the time until you check out at, at, at 5. Like, is, is anyone really excited with like applauding your boss if all he does is come, comes around to you and, and all of your companions like, you know what I mean? You guys are doing a great job. You're really crushing it. I'm like, thank you for showing up, you know, three hours late. Thank you for taking a two-hour, you know, lunch break. The company crumbles, Right? It's done. It's over. The company is going. The, the ship is sinking. So we're like upset with our boss. Oh, excuse me. We're not upset with our boss, but we are upset with God. That makes a lot of sense. Jesus is saying there are two ways of dying. You can die in our sins and experience separation from God, not just in this life, but in the life to come. Or you can die under the weight of the cross, which brings absolute freedom. And you see, it's the cross that is the crux to whether or not we experience abundant life in this life and eternal life in the one to come. So, so let's just look back at verse 28. Jesus says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man. Who is the Son of Man? Jesus, all right? And what does lifted up mean? It means lift him up on a Roman cross to crucify him. He says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. That's all the Greek says, by the way. It's just I am. The, the pronouns inserted in there so we know it's I am he, Jesus, all right? Then you will know that I am and that I do nothing on my own authority but speak just as the Father has taught me. So in other words, this is what Jesus is saying. He is saying, when you crucify me and you see what happens in Jerusalem 
and you hear the centurion saying, surely this is the son of God, then you're going to say, he is. <laughs> he was right. He, he, he died for the sins of the world. He died to bring every despicable person, including yours truly. He died to bring us back to God, back to the path of light from the path of darkness. And so Jesus says, look, for those of you that live on this side of the cross, you have a distinct advantage. You, you, can, you can see what I've done and you can, you can work out the, the meaning of my words and, and all of the weight that they carry. But, but just as I shared with a friend this past week, um, a gift that, that God offers us the gift of bread, the gift of water, the gift of light. A gift is not a gift until it is what? It's got to be received. So, so which side of the cross are you on? Have you received the gift of, of life and light from Jesus? Or are you, are you still kind of keeping him at arm's length? Because Jesus is very clear. If, if you continue to uh, walk a, a path that is divorced from him, the light of the world, you are walking a path of darkness and you will die in your sins, separated from him forever. But if you believe, if you look to him and trust in what he's done, then you experience life, abundant life, the life that you should desire to, to live so, so Jesus then, then says this, okay, he says, follow me. And this, and this following Jesus is completely comprehensive. And when we, we follow him, it's, it's not like a casual thing, like I, I'll kind of step in, you know, but then I'll kind of step back. And it's, it's like, man, I'm, I'm in this thing with Jesus, but, but when, we, when we truly trust in what he has done for us, and we say, I'm, I'm, I'm following you, like wherever you move, I move. Then we actually become light. He makes us like, he is the light of the world. And then he'll say in John 5, uh, excuse me, Matthew 5, verse 16, you are the light of the world. When we, when we believe in him, he changes us from the inside out and then he makes us light. And so this has huge ramifications for us. Um, let me just unpack a couple for you, right? For, for Jesus to be our light, it is to have all we need to navigate life under the sun. So just two implications here, right? Um, anybody making decisions these days? Just kind of got some decisions on, you know, the, 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 the horizon. Um, listen, Jesus wants to be your light. As you make decisions, um, listen, there, there's not like, this isn't like, um, you know, magic eight ball kind of thing, you know, like you shake it up and, you know, like God through prayer, then like all of a sudden, like it's going to be written in the sky or, you know, do this, don't do that. Um, but, but, but Jesus gives us wisdom in the word. So, we, so we, in our decision making, we say, okay, like how does, how does this choice um, align with the values that I see in the Bible? How does this other choice align with uh, what I see in the Bible. Um, another, another grace that, that God gives us not only is truth, but also new motivations. So now that I'm, I'm following Jesus, I have a different set of motivations now that the decision that I make, I want it to honor God first and foremost. 
But then not only that, um, even, even before my own benefit, I'm asking like, how is this going to help me love, love and serve other people? A whole new set of motivations in our decision making. Uh, but, but then not only that, a, a new support system, uh, we, we call it community, just a group of, of people who then can help us make these important decisions in life. So, so listen, the Proverbs say it over and over again, um, whoever isolates himself uh, basically seeks his own destruction. And yet how many times do we make huge decisions, momentous, important decisions in life, and, and for whatever reason, whether it be our pride or our fear, um, we just make it in isolation. But what if God surrounded us with family and friends and especially like our, our spiritual family in Christ, we're called brothers and sisters, right, um, to, to like weigh in on that, to just support us in that, to even just pray with us and say, you know what, I don't know exactly, but I'll, I'll pray for you. I'm telling you, there are going to be times in your life this week where you're, you're going you're gonna to be at work, you're going to be at home, you're going to be out, you're just, I do not know what to do. And in some respects, that is the absolute best place to be because then we turn it over to God and say, God, would you help me? Send your light to show me how I can make a wise decision here. And then, and then also, not just decision makings, but, but, but difficulties in life. We all face difficulty and discouragement and disappointment. How, how do you navigate disappointment? How do you navigate rocky relationships? How do you navigate frustration at work. Once again, I would just plead with you just to, to, to hit pause, you know, like it's hard for me to hit pause because I just want to go, 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 but just to hit pause and say, God, would you help me here? Would you send your light to guide me in the midst of this difficulty? See, when we follow Jesus, we escape darkness, but then we also, and I love this, we also radiate light. So let me end with this thought. Um, in, in our home, in a couple of the rooms, all right, I didn't set this up because I'm no electrician. They were there before we got there. Um, there. There are two dimmer switches, all right? And if you hit the, the little circle, you know, knob, we'll call it. It's a knob. Um, if you hit the lights, come on. And then if you turn it to the right, the lights get a lot brighter. But if you turn it to the left, the, the lights grow dimmer. And so in the Christian life, some, sometimes it's like that. We make foolish choices. We, we step kind of out on our own and we, we deviate from God's wisdom and, and, the, and the light within us. It's not gone, but it just grows a little more Dim. But then when we come back to God's intention for us and we sit under the light of his word and we surround ourselves with other people who have the light in them and that, that, that helps us to kick it to the right a couple of notches where we, we have the, the light of Christ growing more and more bright within us. And to the point where we would say, you know what, I want to like kill the dimmer switch, Right? So that when I am turned on and lit for Jesus, the light is fully bright. So this, this 
reality of us being the light of the world, listen, it is a thing of degrees. It is a thing of degrees. What do I mean? It happens by proportions. And this is, I can just tell you, Marsha can tell you for me, like when I allow the words of Christ to permeate my life, and when I match up my actions and my motives and my thoughts to reflect the actions and motives and thoughts of Jesus, then his light starts to permeate me more and more to the point where the intensity of the light that is within me is shining brighter and brighter and brighter. And what happens when that happens? Not only am I being changed, but the people around me are also starting to change because I am being used by God to influence them. So isn't that, isn't that what we want? This is not just for ourselves. This is God has given us his light so that we can shine his light to those around us so that they can then experience his light and they can permeate his light to those around them. This is why Jesus lived. This is why Jesus died. This is why Jesus rose again as the light of the world. Let's pray together. Father, we confess that we often are content to hang out in dimly lit places. Sometimes, if we're being honest, we, we still love the darkness. And so, God, I pray that you would send your light to help us to see how brilliant and radiant you are. Jesus, we thank you for being the light of the world. We thank you for being lifted up that we might be brought in for dying, that we might have the light of life. And so God, fill us with your light as as we walk in the footsteps of Christ, following him. Lord, we want to be those that make a difference in our neighborhood, difference in our city, difference in our workplace, difference in our school, difference in our families. We want to please you in everything, but we can't do it apart from you. So God, would you send your light. Send your light to fill us that we might shine for you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.